Take your Bibles, please, with me, your copy of God's Word, and let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. And the words to which I would call your attention this morning uh, come to us from verses 18 to 25 of the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. If you're visiting with us today, again, we want to welcome you, are thankful for you being here. Let me just say, if it looked a little unusual because we didn't sing, uh, that's not ordinary for us. We ordinarily do sing. We sing loudly to the praise and the glory of God, Um, but we've decided to take just a two-week hiatus uh, in view of some recent growth and infection and, and even a diagnosis amongst our body, and although we think that the chances of that infection spreading amongst us are very slight, uh, we're trying to exercise wisdom and caution in that. So uh, please know that if you return, we will be singing. All right, Matthew chapter 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord now, the inspired and inerrant and infallible word of God. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have preserved it throughout all time. Thank you that by the work of your Holy Spirit, you enable us to understand these words and to apply them to our lives. And as Danny has prayed, please sanctify us through this, the preaching of your word. We ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, having pointed our attention to the Christ's genealogical line in the first part of this his gospel, uh, Matthew now turns our attention to the birth of Christ. He wants us to understand that the birth of Christ took place in a certain way. And in turning our attention to the birth of Christ, he turns our attention to ones whose participation was very important. He turns our attention to a man by the name of Joseph. And we have here in these eight verses, verses 18 to 25, really in all of the Gospels, the only explanation of the participation of Joseph in the life of Christ. It was short. It was small. 
But he takes these eight verses to teach us both the relation of Joseph to Jesus and, importantly, the non-relation of Joseph to Jesus. And so you and I, as we look to this gospel, remembering that when Matthew is writing, he's writing, yes, a pronouncement of what has happened, but also, remember, a defense He's laying before us as humanity the doctrines which we must believe, which we must accept. He is saying to you, this is true, now do you believe it? Do you accept it by faith? Lots of things that we accept by faith. There's not a human who does not walk in some kind of a faith. And so, as we enter to look at these questions and to ponder them in our own minds and in our own hearts, the question before us is, do you believe them? Do you believe them apart from all the other things that you believe? Some who call upon Christ to take the name of Christian to themselves would say, well, I believe most things about Christ, but you kind of get me at the virgin birth. I can't accept that. Matthew is saying to you, in putting this at the beginning of his gospel, that this is the entrance into everything that we believe to be true about Christ. Last week, we considered the fact that we can't have Christ as a Savior if we don't have Him as a Lord, as a King. He's a King before He's a Savior. Well, here, we remember that in order for Christ to be a Savior to us, we must accept that He was born not of ordinary generation, but in a super-ordinary generation. Matthew is presenting to us this truth that Jesus' Father is God. And that God gave to Jesus a righteous earthly father. Both of these things are necessary for Christian belief. We'll look at this in in three ways regarding Joseph. This is packed full of Joseph Uh, these eight verses, we're going to look at Joseph's separation, Joseph's reputation, and Joseph's reaction. First of all, consider with me Joseph's separation. We see this both in verses 16 and verse 18. Look at verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Just something that we can sort of trip over lightly and and not even consider what's happening in this verse in verse 16. But Matthew is very careful to make a biological separation between Joseph and Jesus. So in verse 16, what, what happened there? Did you notice it? We picked up In verse 2, do you see the language? Abraham did what? He begot Jesus. I'm sorry, he begot uh, Isaac. He was the father of Isaac. And Isaac begot Jacob. 
But then when we get down to verse 16, do you notice that Matthew is very careful not to say, and Joseph begot Jesus. He changes his language from the active verb to the passive to show you, no, Jesus was not begotten of Jacob or of Joseph. Jesus was born of Mary. So there is, there's a genealogical connection between Joseph and Jesus, but not a biological one. We see this again in verse 18. Look at it with me. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary, again there you see the connection to Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. Notice these words. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So again, in every way, Matthew is choosing his words. He's, he's not just putting this in here as a, as a preface to kind of get to the real meat. This is the meat. Before they came together, Joseph had not known Mary. They were engaged to be married. There, there was a contractual relationship between the two of them so that to put her away was to divorce her even at this point. But they had not been intimate. At the very beginning then, Matthew lays before you the doctrine of the virgin birth. Now, now some, there are many biblical scholars who will throw this away. They'll say, this is completely unessential. This is not necessary for us to believe if we want to come into the Christian faith. Well, Matthew is saying to you, yes, it is. You must believe it. You must believe that the child Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary in a supernatural way. The Holy Spirit, in His work, created a body for Christ in the womb of the Virgin Mary. But, but Matthew's careful. Why is he careful? Well, on the one hand, because it's true, right? Matthew's careful because it's true. But, but also, there, there's another reason. Jesus did not come by ordinary generation. Do you, do you understand why is that important? Why could the Christ, the Savior, not have an earthly father? Because all mankind are fallen and corrupted by guilt and sin. This is not just a sin that we commit ourselves. You understand, you're not just guilty of the sins that you commit yourself. You are also guilty of the, of the sin of Adam, your first father. There is an inherited guilt. This is not the inheritance that we like to talk about. So that from the moment you are conceived, you are conceived in guilt and sin. There is not a moment of your life in which you are not indebted to God because of sin. There is not a moment of your life that you do not deserve an eternal hell. Not a moment. Could, could Jesus then be born and bear this kind of a burden of corruption, of, uh, of guilt and sin? No. 
Matthew shows us that Jesus' body and soul, just as Adam is the result of the direct creation of God. Get that, okay? This is, as Matthew says in verse 18, he says, now this is, he uses a Greek term that means the beginning or the origin, the genesis of Christ in his humanity. And he shows us that just as God directly created the body and the soul of Adam, so he did with Jesus. So that Jesus did not inherit the guilt and corruption of his father, Joseph, which linked him to Adam. Why is this important? Well, imagine, if you will, just for a moment, that you and I are sitting in a courtroom. And we're sitting there because we've got a friend who has... Over and over and over again, he has, he's got a heavy foot, okay? And so he drives really fast uh, wherever he is, power sliding around the curves, and he gets pulled over frequently. And so we've gone to court with him as just sort of a character witness, and the judge sits down on his bench, and he, he looks at our friend, and he says, Sir, you have accumulated $30,000 in traffic fines. And... We feel badly for him. And so you and I, we stand up and we say, uh, uh, Judge, um, we'd like to take care of our friend's fines. And the judge looks at us and he says, well, that would be perfectly okay if you didn't have $30,000 worth of fines yourself. You've got to pay your own fines before you pay the fines of your friend. And we all go away sad. Here's the issue. If Christ was born into this kind of guilt and corruption, then his crucifixion is something he deserved and he has no ability to pay for your debt. If he is guilty and corrupt, crucifixion and hell are for him, not us. And he cannot bear our guilt if he is bearing his own. So the virgin birth, this doctrine that we believe is not non-essential, it is 100% necessary to your salvation. Therefore, Matthew is very careful to point it out to you that there is a separation between Joseph and Jesus. But Matthew is also careful to point something else out to us in verses 18 to 19. We see Joseph's reputation. What was Joseph's character? Did, was it okay for the Lord to appoint to Christ any old, any old guy will do? Look along the stag wall there and pick out the guy with the shiniest shoes. No. The Lord gave to Christ a godly father. And I want you to understand, I believe Matthew does too, that this was necessary to the human Christ. That he have a godly father. But let's notice, let's notice his character. Some things that Matthew puts in this vignette, as it were, about Joseph. Um, notice with me in verse 18. Uh, or verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man. So the first thing that we learn about 
Joseph is he's a just man. Literally, this means that he is he's faithful to the law of God. He's a righteous man. He looks into the law of God. He considers the law of God. He's, he's not a man that you can bribe. He looks upon the character of other men and he determines what is right, not because of how they look, but because of how they behave, what they do and say. He's a just man. He cares about God's law. He cares about following God's law. And so he's just. He wants to do the right thing in every occasion. He's a man of strong character, of strong constitution. He has conviction. And so when Mary comes to him, and and Matthew doesn't disclose to us, was this a dinner table conversation? Was she paying Dutch again at a date? We don't know. Did she disclose this information to him? All we know is that there was a conversation. He did come to know it. And Matthew, being a righteous man, was going to do the right thing. Biblically, there are two grounds for divorce. And one of those is adultery. Matthew has the right to put Mary away. But we learn another thing about Matthew, don't we? That's important. Matthew's not just a just man, a righteous man, a man who's faithful to the law, dogmatic where he needs to be dogmatic. Matthew's a compassionate man. Matthew's a, I'm sorry, Joseph is a tender man. We don't know how he found out that Mary was pregnant, but put yourself in his shoes for just a moment, if you will. This woman whom you have a contract to marry, uh, whom you will pledge your life to, whom your parents have been involved with arranging your marriage perhaps, that she comes to you and discloses that she's pregnant. I mean, where does your mind go? Immediately you think, all this time, I'm a just man. I have been preserving myself for you. I'm a chaste man. I'm giving my life to you and you haven't done that for me. Oh, no. What does your flesh say to you? Put her away. You've you've brought shame on me. I'm going to bring shame on you. That's, That's the flesh speaking, isn't it? But we find that Joseph, even if that was his inclination, he decided to put that inclination to death and show Mary compassion. See the depth of his tenderness to her. That even though he had the right to do this, to make it a public spectacle, to put her to shame, he was unwilling, according to verse 19, to do that. And resolved to divorce her quietly. Think about this. Even though Joseph had been wronged, he did not simply seek personal honor. Joseph sought the honor of the one who had dishonored him. Now this is before an angel has ever appeared to him. This is his character. This is the man that God has appointed to be an earthly father to his son. 
as fathers. We find that it's easy, don't we, to err on one side or the other, to be just and firm, to do the work that it takes to find out who's in the wrong when uh, accusation is thrown. Well, he hit me. Well, she bit me. Are there any witnesses? To carry out the letter of the law in our families and to make sure that every child toes the line in every case. And when they don't, to make sure that they know it. Jesus was raised by a father who balanced justness and righteousness and compassion. We can err on the other side and being too compassionate, can't we? We overlook sins and we say, oh, he's just a month old, he'll get better. It's so funny to see them do that, isn't it? Oh, he just learned to say no, don't worry about it. Joseph was compassionate and he was just. He was a man who had a right, but he did not exercise it hatefully. And ultimately, you and I know this, don't we? That he is raising a son whose example he is following. Why make all the fuss about Joseph's character? What difference does it make? Well, on the one hand, Joseph's fatherhood is not necessary to the birth of Christ. We know that. Christ is born of Mary. The Holy Ghost did this in a supernatural way within her womb. Joseph is not necessary to the birth of Christ. But what we ought to understand is that Joseph's fatherhood is necessary to the child Jesus. There's an ancient heresy. It was first taught or cataloged, as it were, by a man by the name of Apollinarius. So you immediately know this is not a modern man. Apollinarius taught that Jesus had a body, but that body was inhabited by a divine logos. The Word came down. And so it wasn't a human soul. It wasn't a human mind. It, it didn't grow in that way that that body was inhabited by the divine God in all aspects. So, so this, this body is moving, but it's kind of like a puppet. The divine being is driving it. And the early church was right to say, no, that's a heresy. Some of you are familiar with the doctrines of Islam. It's the same kind of idea. Christ, in His humanity, was potty trained. In His humanity, He needed a godly Father to give Him godly direction. He grew in wisdom. And he was given a godly father in Joseph because this is a general principle of Scripture that godly men raise godly children. 
And this was needful even in the life of the incarnate Christ. God didn't override this principle even in His own Son. We must be careful not to repeat this error. Christ was truly man. A body and a soul and a human will, though impossible for Him to sin. How often do you and I say, like father, like son? And that's for a reason. But I also will remind you, brothers, that there is mercy with the Lord. Lastly, we see Joseph's reaction in verses 24 to 25. Joseph had determined to put Mary away. And again, he had every right to do this. Biblically, he had the right to put her away. He had the right to say, I divorce you, and to put her away and to give her a paper. And she would be a scarred and a a marked woman for the rest of her life. Because what? She's an adulteress. But the angel appeared to Joseph. Read with me in verse 24. or, Or verse... Uh, 21, the, the angel has appeared to her. He, he announces to Joseph that this child is from the Holy Spirit, that she will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All to, to fulfill Isaiah chapter 7. And then in verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son And he called his name Jesus. We see even here the marks of Joseph's obedience. He he did as he was told. He took Mary. Think of the potential here for immense harm to his reputation. All this time, Mary's growing. uh, This child is growing in her womb. And questions circulating in their town. Who's the father? But Joseph kept on entrusting himself to the Lord. He was an obedient man. He was a chaste man. Even though they were married, he waited several months until the birth of Christ before their marriage was ever consummated. Think about that. Delaying your honeymoon for months reminds us that marriage is more than fleshly indulgence. He is a faithful man. He did as the angel told him and named this child Jesus. Literally, Joshua, meaning Jesus saves. Joseph raised the son who would ultimately deliver him from his sin. In the end, though, there's really... Not much to do with Joseph, is there? He disappears from the gospel narrative. The only other time that we see him is when somebody looks at Jesus and says, aren't you the son of Joseph? Joseph disappears from the gospel narrative. Why is that? Well, Matthew tells us, notice in verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet These are are not events that just suddenly appeared 
on the scene of history. These are events that are foretold. And this happened in this way through this man and through this woman to give you a sign. Do you understand that? Isaiah chapter 7 says, This will be a sign to you that the virgin will bear a son. And his name will be called Emmanuel. What is it a sign of? What is depicted in the giving of the Christ by the virgin? It is the sign of the Lord's work of the restoration of Israel through this one who is truly human and truly divine. Whose father is God, raised by a righteous earthly Father, these things ultimately demonstrate to us the faithfulness of our triune God to do what He says He will do. Do you accept Him by faith? Friends, you and I must carefully understand the relation and the non-relation of Joseph to Jesus. Both are important. Both of them are important. That, That Joseph is not Christ's biological father, and yet he is the godly father who nurtured and raised and that earthly human Jesus. To be a Christian means to accept by faith all that Scripture teaches about this Christ. Life's choice, life's choice is not between faith and non-faith. Life's choice is between faith in Christ or faith in false gods. My friends... It is only faith in Christ which redeems your soul. Faith that He is the eternal Son of God. Faith that as the God-man, He is born of a true virgin. Faith that He is the suffering servant. Do you believe on Him today for salvation? I pray you do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the eternal Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you gave your Son, your only Son, whom you love, to be a sacrifice for our sin. That he was able to do this only because he was supernaturally conceived, apart from the corruption and the guilt of sin. We thank you also that you demonstrate to us in this passage the need of godly fathers, fathers who are just and compassionate, who are as you are, slow to anger, quick to listen, abundant in loving kindness. We thank you that we see these traits lived out in the life of our Lord Jesus. And we thank you that through him, you've become our father too. We praise you for this great truth in his name. Amen.